Hi, everybody. This is Gary Sandy, and thank you very much for listening to the WKRP cast. There have been great moments in television, but only rarely do the forces of comedy, insanity, creativity, and hilarity combine to create something truly momentous. In these moments, there is no time or space, only the nirvana of laughter. A touchstone through the generations, a shared moment of LOL. The result, laughter to the point of barely being able to control your bladder. The WKRP cast is humbled to now present one of these moments of utter comedic genius. That's right, fellow babies. It's time for Turkeys Away. I'm at WKRP in Cincinnati. Uh, welcome back to another WKRP cast. All right, it's here. I've been trying not to be intimidated by it, but it's really hard. So, Donna, what are we talking about this week? Turkeys away. <laughs> okay, yeah, now, so I'm not intimidated at all. <laughs> the air date was October 30th, 1978, written by Hugh Wilson and Bill Dial. Story editors Tom Chihak, Bill Dial, and Blake Hunter. And for the third episode so far this season, it was directed by Michael Zinberg. Michael Z, doing a lot of work for the uh, KRP. This is the epic episode that so many remember when talking about WKRP. The station's Thanksgiving turkey giveaway promotion turns into a comic catastrophe. Yes, this is the one. This this is the episode that everybody talks about. Um, um. We get the, the comments constantly on the Facebook page. I really think that one where they throw the turkeys out of the helicopter is really funny. Yeah, <laughs> everybody agrees with you. Let's get the accolades out of the way. It's been voted the 40th funniest sitcom episode in history of all sitcoms ever. It is regularly voted the number one Thanksgiving episode of any sitcom. Uh, and this was the first uh, airing of a WKRP episode to air after MASH. So it was the combination of the great position after MASH, because up to that point, all other WKRP episodes, their first fall, had aired at 8 p.m. Eastern, which is 7 p.m. Central time. So the very first slot in primetime. And they'd been doing in the 30s and 40s. They're ranking out of all the shows in a week. They would be down in the 30s and 40s. So they moved them behind MASH, which was this powerhouse ratings uh, juggernaut at the time. All of a sudden, after the Turkey's Way episode, their ranking jumped up to number 23. Now, how long did they stay after MASH? That was such a good position. Well, they kept moving them around a lot. Yeah, and they did. And this was kind of a, a one-off for that fall. They only put them behind MASH this one Monday. And then next week, for the next episode, they go back to the 8 o'clock time period, and it was not a strong episode. Because so nobody could find it. Well, nobody could find it, and it was Love Returns. And that's oh. when they 
Now that's when they put them on hiatus was after that. So then they were on hiatus through the holiday season, came back in January, and that's when we get the bullpen. This was the only time in the fall, and after they had these meetings in hiatus, Hugh Wilson uh, was said to, and Hugh Wilson was kind of crusty. He would talk back. He would not put up with these CBS suits. And they said, what do we have to do to make it funnier? He said, put it behind MASH. It has nothing to do with it being funnier. It has to do with it being behind And leave match. it in the same spot leave for it there. a while. Yeah. Right. Give us the good time spot and leave it there. Uh, it And he even said that he post-dated scripts. He said, we already had the scripts written. And they said, we want you to rework this. So he said, we didn't rework a thing. We just changed the dates on existing <laughs> scripts. All right. Now let's do some talking turkey. It's time. We're going to talk turkey. <laughs> Something else everybody says about this episode is, that's based on a true story, you know. Which true story? Well, and, and let's put true in quotes, maybe. Uh, okay, we're talking about radio guys. And I've never met a radio guy that, that would let the truth get in the way of a good story, you know? So a lot of what Hugh Wilson reported on came from Jerry Bloom. Uh, and we found an amazing document. This For this episode, this is like our, our Urtext. This is the Q document. We found an oral history compiled by media historian Stephen Bowie. He put this together in November of 2012. So when we say somebody said something... These are the actual words of the folks involved from that session. They all sat down and they all recounted what they remembered. Now, be ready. A lot of this is contradictory. A lot of it does not match up. But this is what the episode is based on. You Wilson said it happened in Texas, probably Dallas. And this, he said, was told to him by Jerry Bloom. And the the thing about Hugh Wilson is... Hugh was never involved with any one of these promotions. All this is stuff that he was told. And also his memory about the helicopter. He said that Jerry Bloom told him it was a helicopter. He says he definitely did not make up the helicopter. But we think Jerry may have made up the helicopter. I think think Jerry might have. And Jerry Bloom was a character. This guy was just larger than life doesn't begin to describe Jerry Bloom. And this is the guy that uh, Art Art, Carlson is based on, Well, a lot of Art is based on Jerry Bloom. But Jerry Bloom was a much more aggressive executive than Art was. That part of Art, uh, you know, Art being kind of the softy is really not Jerry Bloom. The the stories and the, the there, there's a lot of Jerry there and Art looked a lot like Jerry too. Gordon Jump just looked like Jerry Bloom, uh, but then there was also another guy, the guy who was Hugh Wilson's boss at the ad agency there in Atlanta, also kind of influencing the Arthur Carlson character. Jerry was a big part of it, but Jerry was really truly an aggressive radio exec, which Art is not. Now you want to talk about Clark Brown? Yeah. Now Clark, you might remember we talked about him in the prologue. He's the salesman at WQXI. Actually, he was the head sales manager at QXI, who is the inspiration for Herb Tarlick's character. Now, Clark was in on this oral history, and Clark's recollections don't line up with Jerry's recollections. No, they don't. Clark believes that this happened at a shopping center in Atlanta for the first time. He said the turkeys were thrown from the back of a truck. In his story, it's probably an 18-wheeler, not a helicopter. And as far as Clark knew at the time, it was not a copied event from another station. He did say in his little talk piece, we weren't, you know, that wasn't unknown that we would definitely copy events from other right, stations. Right, sounded like a good idea. Sure, sure. yeah, they'd, they'd jump on it. But he said as far as he knew, this was an original 
that they came up with in Atlanta. So that's not jibing with Jerry. And then you and then we get Gary. Let's- Gary Bloom. Gary Bloom is Jerry's son. And in an article written after his father's death, he was quoted as saying that it happened at KBOX in the box. Dallas. K-Box. In the late 1950s. He said that turkeys were thrown off a flatbed pickup. Now, he says he remembers this as a kid. As a kid. He was there and says he saw this. And he said it was a mess. They never did it again. And he claims there was never a helicopter. Okay, so Hugh Wilson being exposed to all of this stuff, you know what his take on it was? He didn't he care. He doesn't care. He doesn't care if it was true. He heard a story that he knew could get him an Emmy if he could put it on TV and he got a chance to put it on TV. So that's talking turkey about the truthfulness of Turkey's Away. Well, let's get into the episode because to get into the Thanksgiving feeling, I am wearing my eating pants. All right. So I'm ready to go. <laughs> Excellent. Now, now, and even one of the things that we're going to be keeping an eye on as we go through these scenes, we're going to start breaking the episode down scene by scene. We kind of think it all happens that week of Thanksgiving, but then that doesn't even line up. Right. We'll get into that yeah, when we get to the scenes. Uh, we might be a little too nitpicky in about I, it. I but don't know. We were... it's, it's, the, it's just the overwhelming intimidation of this episode, I think, is what it is. I wanted to get every detail. <laughs> So we start out in the lobby where Mr. Carlson enters to Jennifer, who's on the phone taking care of business, saying that Mr. Carlson doesn't need to be bothered. He's a busy man. She's taking care of everything. I think Art has got her in this mindset. She's been doing this for him. We've seen it other times. I mean, she turned down Wayne Arco. She was going to tell Wayne that Art was dead. There's a Mr. Wayne Arco here to see you. Oh, yeah, fine. Send him away. All right. I'll tell him you're dead. Golly, isn't she good? I don't think he should be so surprised. Yeah, but he's starting to feel cut out. So, oh, 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 here comes her. Herb Darling, fashion alert. Dark brown and tan plaid jacket. Now, this one looks a little like one we've seen before. I think it is a repeat. Man, this one has the additional buttonhole highlights. Well, it's got the tan suede <laughs> pocket flaps with elbow patches that match. And boy, and are then they your buttonhole highlights and tan suede. Striped brown, orange, white tie with the tarlic knot. If you'd missed this, we did this in the shout outs after holdup. We have determined what you might know as the Onassis knot is actually the tarlic knot. Because, because the Herb did it first. First, exactly. So this so is a tarlic knot. That's straight across Ascot looking knot. We've dubbed the tarlic. And then he's got uh, his famous peach colored shirt and tan pants. Yeah. And Herb um, just makes a beeline to Jennifer. Of course. Well, he's got to check his mail. Well, yeah, and but of course he can't just ask for his mail. He's got to ask. Morning, gorgeous. You got anything uh, for me? Only the mail, Herb. That's all I'll ever have for you. So now that Herb's entered, Carlson asks him, "Hey, Herb, how are things going?" And just fine, just fine. Well, it's like Art wants to get the pulse. He wants to know what the word on the street is. Feeling so, left out. He's... Yeah. And Herb now sees Andy as kind of the guy running the station. Andy's got the new format rolling. Andy's got the money rolling. He's got the excitement happening. People are talking about the station. Right. And, and Herb kind of makes this little comment. Previous management had things pretty well screwed up around here. Really, Art's done a great job by putting the right 
right people in charge. He shouldn't be so worried about not being connected. Pretty much his job is to make sure he's got the right people doing the jobs that need to be done. I think maybe in an earlier time he was more involved in the day-to-day and making some of those calls and he misses the thrill of the, the excitement. Now, when when he's talking to Herb and Herb's getting ready to go back to where we think the studio is and everything, you see a sign on the wall through the door. It says Studio A and Studio B. Yeah, we kind of get a little more of a look into that hallway. We kind of get it at an angle in some episodes, but this one we're looking right in there. There's a plant and then this sign indicating that the one control room we're always in is not the only place Right. We don't know if that's A or B, but there's obviously an... I'm thinking it's A. I'm betting A. Main control. But then where's Studio B? We've never been in that. Yeah. uh, I would bet probably B is going to be like a production studio. That's where the guys go in and make the commercials. That doesn't go on the air. You just go in and record things. So, yeah, but we see we've got additional uh, work areas that we didn't know about before. Yeah, so the floor plan we're wanting to get a hold of, we gotta, maybe we'll we find Studio find that, B. Yeah. All right, so Jennifer picks up another phone call, and she does a beautiful job. There's a great acting technique to talking on the phone. you got to time it out, and you've got to hear... got to give that person time to say right. what they're saying. And and. Jennifer does a beautiful, well, Lonnie Anderson is doing a beautiful job with it as Jennifer, but you know the person said, well, can I leave a message? No, I'm sorry, Mr. Carlson never returns calls. Les enters, and so Carlson approaches him. Hey, how are things going? And Les is thrown by the question at first. <laughs> Les looks totally frightened. He's he's stunned. Who wants to know? That he's been asked well, this question. Well, you know, he's always got these... Uh, other stories going on in his head. I, like, I guess it. Well, and also anyone taking an interest, I think, makes him nervous. True. Why is he asking me this? That's really that look. It's a haunted look in his eyes. It's like, what? What? But he's saying, OK, so what's the story? What, what's the news now, Les? And Les <laughs> slips into doing an actual like news report while talking to I, Mr. Carlson I with the weather at the end. That's a little like a turtle getting into his shell. Les is more comfortable <laughs> conversing in headlines than he is actually having a conversation with somebody. And in other headlines, Thursday is Thanksgiving again. <laughs> So Les leaves, and Carlson's kind of wandering around the lobby. <laughs> He's a man without anything to do. He goes over and starts to touch one of the plants, and without skipping a beat or turning around or even seeing him... Eyes in the back of her head. Don't touch those. Jennifer's a little frightening sometimes. <laughs> well, and you know, she can always see Johnny sneaking up oh, on yeah. her, too. Yeah, I, she always knows when Johnny's coming she's by. She's got so. that hair covering up some <laughs> eyes in the back of her head, I think. So then he announces to Jennifer that, like, he's got to justify what he's doing, but he's going to go check out the troops. And it's like he wants to get back in on the day-to-day operation. He but feels left out of the loop. He's a man that doesn't understand really rock and roll, so that's going to kind of leave him at a loss when it comes to running a rock and roll station. Right. I'm the man, the station manager, but what exactly am I doing? And he made a great move hiring Andy. He hired this hotshot program director that knew how to run a rock and roll station, which is great, but now Art feels like, who am I? So Carlson says he's going to check out the troops, and he goes back towards where Studios A and B are. (laughs) Studio where Johnny's working, and I put working in quotes too. Uh, Johnny is snoozing and he's listening to on the shot factory disc, a replacement for the Pink Floyd song dogs, which comes to us from the animals album. And I want to talk for a minute about the reality of ever hearing dogs on the radio. Okay. That's not ever going to happen. It's a 17 minute long song that has a whole lot of long jammy guitar lead parts. 
parts on it. And I just don't think you're going to get that played on any rock and roll station. But Johnny, and it has dogs sounds. Yeah, too, it's got right? dogs, dogs barking, barking in the middle of it. Well, that whole album was based on Orwell's Animal Farm, and every one of the songs oh, okay. is a different animal, and it's a theme album. We're going to do a quick comparison here. So you can hear what's going on. We'll let you hear what Shout Factory did with it. And really, Shout Factory was getting to the joke. Do I hear dogs barking on that thing? I do. So you had to hear dogs. Right. They didn't have to be copyrighted and expensive Pink Floyd dogs. They could be any dogs. So they went ahead and just used any dogs to get that joke out there. Now, the thing that they had to cut was the fact that Johnny actually hands Art the album and we see that it's Pink Floyd, and he names it as Pink Floyd, and that's definitely not David Gilmore playing guitar on that little bit that we're hearing there. So, but it still sounds pretty good. Oh, it sounds pretty good, but they had to take that part out. So here, we're going to do a back-to-back comparison. You can hear, this is what's on the Shot Factory. Don't touch that. <laughs> I'm sorry, I was... Uh, Ripping music, huh? Do I hear dogs barking on that thing? I do. Good, aren't they? Here's a thing called pigs on the wing. (laughs) What does that sound like? I don't do requests. Okay, and then this is from Dale Kovar's disc where he has re-edited the actual Pink Floyd and we get the interaction about the title of the album. Don't touch that. (laughs) I'm sorry, I was... uh, uh, Ripping music, huh? Yeah, that's that's good, all right. What's the name of that orchestra? Pink Floyd. Ooh, is that Pink Floyd? <laughs> do I hear dogs barking on that thing? I do. Good, aren't they? <laughs> hey, here's a thing called pigs on the wing. <laughs> what does that sound like? I don't do requests. <laughs> just have always been a little stymied that they chose dogs. Right. Well, they wanted to get that joke in there, I think. Yeah, that might be it. It's Carlson. Carlson's reaction to the barking dogs is hilarious. Him yeah. looking in the speaker and everything. Next, Carlson goes into Andy's office, and he finds Bailey and Venus, and, and they you, don't even hear him come in. Well, and you mentioned he walked in to Andy's office, which is a room, and it's not a big it's room. a very small room. And then he asks... Is uh, Travis in? You yes. can very clearly see Venus and, and Bailey there. And the desk... And the far wall and the right, whole you see room. Everything. There are no other doors out. All right. Oh, hey, we got a little close up of oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, Venus. Yeah, yeah. We did a freeze and we saw the back of James Taylor's album, Mudslide Slim and the Blue Horizon. My man, James yes. Taylor. It's a little JT uh, that Venus was flipping through there. And if you don't remember the album, probably you're remembering this mega career making hit. When the spring, summer, fall. Hey, now all you've got to do is call. Lord, I'll be there. Yes, I will. You've got a friend. Bailey's working on a promotion idea. And Art wants to insert himself. He he wants in on this. He wants to make a decision, so he asks her, what? So what are you doing? Well, uh, we don't know whether to give away Boston T-shirts or foreigner T-shirts. Boston. Foreign stuff shrinks. <laughs> Bailey and Venus exchange the look that can only happen between two people that are in a different generation from the person <laughs> they're l- doing the look about. 
So they gave one of those. And right. So this Mark, this is a great example of Carlson hired the right people yeah, to be doing yeah. what they're doing. He's, he's got, the, got the right folks in there working, but he just feels such a fifth wheel. He's not, he not involved, and he wants to be involved. And this is the joke, the slow build joke that we are telling now. It's... Maybe a little too slowly. Right. I think it, it kind of, it's like, okay, so what's going to happen in this episode? Yeah. Come yeah. on. And there's no B story. There's nothing else going on. It's just this one. And happening, we kind of think, the week of Thanksgiving, because when Les walked in and Carlson asked him what was going on and he got into his got into his news report, he'd said... And in other headlines, Thursday is Thanksgiving again. So we're guessing this is Monday. Monday. But when we start counting days, there aren't enough days in the week. And right. I don't think they're dropping turkeys on Thanksgiving Day. I really have never believed well, and that. They, and like you said, they wouldn't be in the studio working no, on Thanksgiving no. Day. We'll talk more yeah, about we'll get, that. We'll get into that a little more. But this is something. This this is what we have been agonizing over as we're watching this. It's like we're looking at outfits and we're looking at... How so, many times have they changed clothes? Uh, it we, must yeah, be a new no, day. Herb's wearing a different tie. <laughs> so, you know, but, so, all right, so we head into Carlson's office after Art has had these kind of bad moments of interaction with the staff. They're not going so well. So now he's in his office. He's playing with his pencil, like making it, pretending it's a rocket. At, at first, I thought it was a crane. But then it lifted off. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, I thought, oh, it's a rocket, obviously. So. And Andy said, you wanted to see me, Mr. Carlson? And and he's like, come on, Andy, give me the big picture. What's so, going on? So Andy's busy working, and Art calls him in there for really no reason other than to just get some gossip. And we hear the, that line. Travis, you're a good man. One of the best. One of the best. And you, you remember we caught that, and here's that Hugh Wilson's writers here. We caught that in pilot part one. One of the best. And they're bringing it back. Yeah, yes. and, they, and they're calling back to that. And that's what's fun. Over entire seasons, even from one season to another, you'll get these callbacks to things. It's very cool. Carlson's feeling un- unappreciated, left out. He's wanting some validation of some type. How about me? How am I doing? I think you're doing just fine. You do? I see. Why? What do I do? What is my job? What am what do I do? In the real world, a guy in Carlson's position, his job is probably to be a lot of dinners at the club with businessmen in the Losing. community. Losing. Getting those big annual contracts and getting the big car dealer in town. That's really what a guy at his he level should needs be to doing. Be like the face behind WKRP. And, maybe. and he's the one for the guys that are not going to deal with the sales guy. You know, I want to talk to the owner, the manager, you know, that's the where big guy. the big guy, right. That's where art should be working. And that's probably what a guy in arts position as a station manager or an owner, he's not going to be involved with that day-to-day operation of the station. So Art kind of asserts himself. He wants day-to-day details. He wants every named like four different departments there that he wants to have approval on. There's no way. That wouldn't make sense to have one person approving all that stuff. You got to delegate. Well, and I'm thinking, why don't they have once a meek once a meek. Once a meek. Once a meek weedings. Why don't they have <laughs> once a week meetings? Meek weedings. Like staff meetings. Don't don't radio stations do that? Yeah, There's, sure. You know, just quick, what's going on in your and, department? And that staff meeting, a lot of times, the only time you see the overnight guy. Because I used to go to some of those as the overnight guy, and people look at me like, who's, who's he? that? <laughs> some guy just wandered in here off of the street. <laughs> you know him? <laughs> you can see him whispering to each other. 
So the next scene's in Andy's office, and we're guessing it's the next day because change of clothing. Yeah. And Andy is wearing uh, one of his very tight Not shirts. Not quite as tight as the Cincinnati Playhouse in the Park shirt. That's still the winner <laughs> for the tightest shirt Andy's worn so far. But this one says University of Cincinnati on it. And here comes Johnny. Gotta do something about Carlson, man. What's he done? The guy won't leave me alone. I mean, he's driving me crazy with his suggestions. Driving him crazy with suggestions. <laughs> and I love, we've never heard a whole lot about how Johnny got hired at KRP, but his selection of KRP really cracked me up. I took this job originally because I figured Carlson was like me. Guy who doesn't quite know what's going on around him. He likes it that way. <laughs> And now here comes Les. And Les kind of uncharacteristically assertive here. You've got to do something about Mr. Carlson. I see Les getting mad and agitated, but he's really speaking out, jumping in there. He's got a job to do, and he works alone, and get away from my teletype machines. There there are certain things you don't mess with when it comes to Les's world, and those teletype machines would be one of them. He's hanging around my teletype machines. Oh, Oh, is it time? since it's less. And now a special look at this episode's bandage placement for the five-time Buckeye NewsHawk Award winner, Les Nessman. This is the Les Nessman Bandage Report. Now here's Donna Stair with her report about Les Nessman. Left outside wrist. This has been a look at the bandage placement for Silver Sow and Copper Cobb award-winning journalist, Les Nessman. The uh, Les Nessman Bandage Report coming to you each and every W. KRP cast because Richard Sanders knows how to keep a running gag running. Yes, he yes. does. So the left outside wrist, I was looking at that thinking if you pull the hot pan off the stove with your left hand and you're not used to it and you brush it on the hot burner, I think that's what he did. Okay. That's yeah, and I know you that. like looking at the size of the bandage. Oh, yeah. This one looks pretty good. How much I, tape is used There's some neosporin under that. I'm pretty <laughs> sure there's some neosporin under that thing. Yeah. So anyway, that's or the what, what bandage my mom report. Mercurochrome. Oh, or the something. mercurochrome. And leave that red stain on there for about three weeks. Yeah. Makes it look a hundred times worse than it actually was. <laughs> you, you could take a little slit and make it look like you'd been hacked up with a machete. So we've had Johnny, we've had Les, and now here comes Herb. And again, he's wearing a jacket that we've seen yeah, before. So, so we're withholding the... the uh... My mind went blank, Fashion too. alert. <laughs> We're withholding the fashion alert to the point we can't even remember the name. We're not doing a fashion alert because we've seen this jacket. Herb is recycling this jacket. (laughs) So it did not frighten us the way it did the first time that we saw it. Uh, But they did the funniest visual gag. It cracked me up so much. You've got Johnny and Les standing there. Standing there there right in front of the couch. Andy's to the left, so he's closest to the door. So when Herb walks in, he goes right to Andy. So now he's got his back to Johnny and Les. Andy, I got to talk to you about Carlson. And Andy just gives that old figure a speech. Well, get in line. Get in line. Herb does. Yeah, he's like, okay. And he walks to the back and he stands there. He's third in line. It's less than Johnny. And then Herb. He folds his arms, starts tapping his foot. He's just standing in line. I haven't got all day. It's just the dumbest little joke, but it was so unexpected and such a beautiful visual gag. It just knocked me out of my chair. So Johnny takes a seat on the couch and he kind of puts his hands behind his head. (laughs) And uh, Andy says, okay, Herb, what what did Carlson do to you? Well, he blew a deal I've been working on. Oh, who was the client? A little pipe shop downtown. Cash on the barrel head. Out the window. All right, now I'm wondering also, what's cash out the window? What is that? I've heard out the door. What do you say? 
He said it was just a front for selling paraphernalia for drug users. Boy, does that... Johnny sits up and, he, and he, he's like, whoa, hey, what, where jo- is this Johnny shop? suddenly had five cups of coffee. We can actually see Johnny's eyes all of a sudden. It's like, what? Where is this? <laughs> well, and now here comes Venus. What's got into him, man? He used to be scared to death of me, and I thought that was a good relationship. I love that line. That is so funny. <laughs> he used to be scared of me. And now the only one that hasn't been there yet here comes Bailey, and They're she's swarming. in to complain They're about swarming. Mr. Carlson. Yes. Mr. Carlson. Uh, yeah, I know, I know, I know. He wanted to approve the T-shirt promotion. So we, they all move over. Andy goes to his desk, and they follow. And we've got now this. They've this, surrounded his this desk. Great visual of everybody. All the vectors are right on Andy, and here comes Mr. Carlson. I just concluded a deal. It's going to make radio history. I can't give you all the pertinent information at this particular point in time, but I can tell you that you'll all be receiving your assignments later. He has concluded a deal, and we don't know who he concluded this with because we never hear about a sponsor, but he has concluded a deal that will make radio history. And he does a little thing here. He brings Les and Herb over his way and kind of sets down this line between... Well, again, it's the Suits and the Dungarees. The Suits and the Dungarees, which is the original uh, Hugh Wilson pitch to CBS back when he first put the show together. It was going to be this ongoing battle. Well, now here we have them, very right. visually and represented. Even he even says these casually dressed people yes, over here yes. think they're and, and take also, over. Also drawing that line between the new guy and the veteran. And these casually dressed people over here seem to think they've taken over the place. <laughs> Just want to tell you that Les Herb and I were here before all of you. And we did pretty good on our own. That older employee, been around longer, can kind of get pushed to one side when the hot new young hotshots come in. And I think that Art's feeling that as well. So he's, bring, he's bringing Lurb over to... Uh, <laughs> To help him with this, which I don't know if he should be aligning himself, you know, with those guys necessarily. All it's going to take is your complete cooperation, absolute secrecy, and 20 live turkeys. One of the things we talked about when we were talking about this episode and kind of some of the things that, you know, in, in the real world, what goes on, the thought of transporting and then loading live turkeys onto a helicopter. 20 of them. 20 of them. And this well, first job. First, them from the farm to the helicopter. To wherever the helicopter or, is. Or whatever. Then getting them on the helicopter. And this is a job that Herb was put in charge of. <laughs> I was concerned, but I, he seems to have pulled it off. He uh, got him. He got him he there. Got the turkeys. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So. Now, now we've got a uh, cut for time here. We now think maybe, but we're not positive that it's Tuesday, November 21st in Carlson's office. We've got Herb in a new suit, so we know it's a new day. Uh, and this one definitely Herb Darling fashion alert. Solid bright blue jacket and Ooh. pants. White shirt, which makes the blue look even brighter, and the yellow tie. This thing would set off a Geiger counter. And again, we have the tarlic knot. We have another tarlic knot. That tarlic must be easy to tie. It's not really a tie. It's a flip over. It's just flipping right over. I I read on one of the things that somebody sent us a link to, it's based on a Windsor. But yeah, you just don't cinch it. So Herb, Les, and Andy are in the office with Carlson. And Carlson is very excited. And he even mentioned something about... Turkey Day, which is tomorrow. And when he says Turkey Day, I think he's referencing his event, not, you know, sometimes you call Thanksgiving Turkey Day. Um, I think he's talking about the turkey throw is Turkey Day. Is tomorrow. So we're thinking that this day that he's... The turkey throw. (laughs) 
we're thinking that this day that they're in the office right now is November 21st. Which would be that Tuesday of that week. Because Thanksgiving of 1978 was November 23rd. Right, on Thursday. So then, and and I don't believe they were dropping turkeys at the Pinedale Shopping Mall on Thanksgiving Day. That just right. wouldn't make not, any sense. Not when you need to cook it. And have it ready to yeah. eat. Yeah. And well, and also, who's going to be out there? And we talked about this too. You know, the stores wouldn't be open. It's 1978. Yeah, now stores open on Thanksgiving Day. I mean, it's not every store, right. but we do get some stores open on Thanksgiving Day. But back then, no. No, no, no. Absolutely not. Well, I remember back yeah, when. Back then on a holiday, nobody worked. Stores closed on well, Sundays well, around actually, the world. Actually, though, when I was in high school working at the radio station. I was the part-timer. I pulled a lot of those Thanksgiving shifts. I worked three or four years in a row on Thanksgiving Day. Because you were just a kid. I'm just a 16, 17-year-old kid. I'm a you part-timer. You were in the dough, baby. I was. I was making time and a half on that day, so we figured what, it out. $4 and... four fifty, four eighty-five with time and a half. I think <laughs> I think minimum at that time was like three thirty-five. so I was knocking down 50 bucks for working Thanksgiving Day. That's why I married you, oh, honey. Yeah, honey, I'm, I'm rolling honey. in it. So our reasoning is, since Thanksgiving Day was November 20th, 23rd, we're going back. The drop must have been on the 22nd. On the 22nd. Now, if you're buying your turkey drop merchandise, which there is a lot of it out there, t-shirts and sweatshirts and tote bags and all of them, check the date. The date should be November 22nd. Not the 23rd. The 23rd is Thanksgiving Day, and we really believe that... You would have been uh, eating raw turkey. Yeah, that would have been ugly, uh, just taking the turkey right off of somebody's windshield. and Right off the windshield and taking it home. (laughs) That wouldn't have been good. Carlson, he's really enjoying keeping Andy in the dark. He's not telling Andy exactly what's going on. And man, is he fired up. He is marching back and forth in front of the troops, and he is just gesticulating wildly, and he's there. So he asked Jennifer to come in because he wants to dictate a press release. <laughs> I already knew the answer to this. I don't take dictation. And, of course, uh, got to get some coffee for everyone. And I knew the answer to this, too. Yes. I don't get coffee, Mr. Carlson. We agreed. <laughs> we agreed. And then then at the end of it, Jennifer's like, is there anything else I can do? Yeah, well, she well, hasn't really done she's anything. She's not done a whole lot. <laughs> and, and Mr. Carlson's like, oh, no, no, thank you, thank you. You've done enough. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> and I, I love I Lurb. Lurb in the background watching this. How did she get away with that? Are you kidding? Okay, so Art's going through everybody's assignment. This is a big operation. We got to mobilize people. He he goes to Les, wanting Les, man on the scene reporting because, as Les says... This promotion is news, Andy. Big news. Although Mr. Carlson wanted the newspapers out and the newspapers told Andy... They said the giving away turkeys wasn't their idea of news. Which shocked Mr. Carlson. By those fools. So he's got everybody laid out except for her. Telling everybody, you go here, you go you, here. Yeah, now. Herb was the guy getting the turkey. So Herb brought in the live turkeys. But now, where is Herb going to be during the actual operation? Yes, Mr. Carlson, where do you want me? I want you right there with me, by my side. <laughs> and Herb almost when tears up. Herb wells up. Once once again, I love you see Frank his Bonner. Lower lip quiver. I love Frank Bonner so much. It's so subtle, but so funny. Oh, it was so, it meant oh, so much to him for Mr. Is, Carlson to say that. He is suppressing this emotion. You could see his heart beating in his chest. It was, <laughs> and he turns and he, as he gets to the door, he can't contain himself he anymore. Opens the door up. I'm like a son to him. <laughs> <laughs> He's got to announce it. He's got to announce He's it to everybody. He's got to say it. <laughs> oh, I love her. Now, now we think that 
we go to the studio. We think that this is the turkey drop yeah. day. This must be the day before Thanksgiving. But, but really, if you get to counting outfits and looking seriously at what everybody's wearing, there might be another day slipped in there. I don't think they paid a whole lot of attention to I, it. I don't either. They when just they were kept scripting changing this. clothes. Yeah, they just kind of like, well, what day is I don't know, just change your clothes. So, so we got Venus and Johnny in the studio, which Venus now just shows up all the time. Venus is around. He's the nighttime well, guy. this is a big promotion. Well, I, it must, I think maybe he was just interested in seeing the train wreck. But, you know. <laughs> he knew it was going to be. He's in Andy's office earlier when Hart comes in. And Venus is just around there all day now. Uh, no pretense of just keeping him at night. He's there all day long. They're getting ready to announce the big promotion. And, okay, honey, go ahead and geek out. All right. Well, Johnny's got a record running on turntable one. The the closer one to the board would be turntable one. But he's he's got a record running on it. And if you look, when they cut, it was obviously different takes because the record label changes color. It starts out, it's and I think it's capital, the black label with the prism kind of smoosh on it. And then it goes to like a bright yellow label and then it's back to the capital label. Look closely for that. It's down in the lower left-hand corner of the screen right there on that turntable. You'll see that label spinning. So they got to talking about the promotion. Wow, when was the last time anything like this ever happened? And Johnny tells Venus about the wig promotion. And we forget sometimes that there is history prior to Andy. We started with Andy's arrival at the station, and there are a lot of stories to be told about KRP before we got there. Right. So this is one of them. And this is one of them. Yes. And I guess uh, Mr. Carlson, for some reason, ordered 3,000 blonde stretch wigs. He had a promotion promotion. set up, and it It didn't go. We didn't get the details on what exactly the promotion was, but it didn't work out. And just after that, uh, (laughs) there was a Guatemalan earthquake. Unfortunately, the poor folks of Guatemala were stricken with an earthquake. Right. And the Red Cross, they said anything would help. Please, just send anything. (laughs) They they should have put an asterisk on that. I really think anything, <laughs> anything but wigs, except for three three thousand blonde wigs. That's so not going to help. Thought, oh, that's how I'll get rid of these wigs. <laughs> so he shipped three thousand blonde stretch wigs to Guatemala. And Johnny's been thinking way too much about this. I still have this picture in my mind of quake victims stumbling through the rubble, all looking like Dolly Parton. We got less out at the Pinedale Shopping Mall. Less is out there not knowing what exactly is about to happen, but knowing that he needs to report on it. And he is ready. Yes. Now, Bailey and Andy come in, so we've got now Bailey, Andy, Venus, and Johnny all in the studio. Ready we've to got, listen. We've got Les now over at Pinedale Shopping Mall reporting live. And in the oral history, we read about how they set this up. And I right. love this. Hugh Wilson said he always loved to play to the crowd because he wanted those laughs. And the laughs drove the cast. So the way they set this up, they put less on the swing set, which is down to the far left. It would be one space over from where the control room is. So less is standing there like he's at the Pinedale shopping mall. Now, just looking as you're the audience member, you just scan over to the right. Now you're looking at the control room Uh in the studio and here are Andy and Johnny and and Bailey and Venus all there. So they don't shoot these separately. They don't. And you would normally expect you would normally expect producing something like this. You would shoot all of Les's scenes then you would shoot the studio scenes and you would edit them together and then insert Les's announcing. But Hugh Hugh said no. He wanted that live audience. Was it Hugh or was it uh, Michael Zinberg? 
He was the director. I think this was Hugh. Hugh mentioned okay. this, and he said, "He said I really wanted this to happen in real time." And that is when they got this immense audience reaction. He said, and and uh, interesting to note, they taped this before the first episode of WKRP had gone on the air. So it was taped in late August of, of 78. So they were going to the Universal uh, tour people that are just walking through Universal Studios. And they're going, hey, you want to come watch a taping of a TV show? Well, oh, that's they, right. Yeah, they do this all the time to get audiences, and you don't necessarily know where you're going. They'll just say, hey, a TV show starts taping at 4.30. Come on over. So these people that are on vacation get drug in to a taping now of a show they don't know. It's not on the air. They've right. never seen it before. So they're not real thrilled to be there sometimes. Yeah, yeah. So they come in, but uh, Hugh Wilson said... This is the best audience reaction. And he said when they got to Les doing that announcing, they said it was just at a fever pitch. It was a roar. Roar. Everybody <laughs> is dying. And except for Richard Sanders. Hugh Wilson said Richard Sanders is just not human. Never, the man does ever not break character. ever. Never breaks, never laughs, never goes down. Uh, so that, you know, that's when just everybody amazing. all around him, even the other characters yeah. are cracking yeah. up. Well, he he would say the whole the whole soundstage. Everybody's dying unless is still standing there in character. He is still standing there, ready to go. That's my so, list. All right, so we're set up now. We're ready to go. The final the the punchline is about to about to be delivered. Here we got turkeys Big coming. Lead up to it. Johnny introduces Les at the end of Fun Time by Joe Cocker. All right, fellow babies, and now it's time to go to our live remote man on the scene at the Pinedale Shopping Mall for the big WKRP turkey giveaway. So take it away, Les Nessman. We've got Les now standing in front of a little space. We're in really tight on Les, and all we see is just a door, and it's Sam's sensible shoes. But if you look at the uh, <laughs> at the words on the door, they left the apostrophe out of Sam's. Yeah, they didn't do a little. They didn't proofread that. Sam's ought to be a little possessive. <laughs> There. The owner comes out. And this is Michael Fairman, who comes out there and whacks Les in the back with the door. <laughs> he tells him, you got to move out of the way. You're blocking my store. And so, that's another thing. If it was Thanksgiving Day, I yeah. really don't think the shoe store would be open. The shoe store open. would be open. All the and people, people milling people around the it. mall everywhere. Yeah. Right. So this guy playing the shoe store owner, who's never named, and I'll be, I, I'm guessing he's probably Sam. This is Michael Fairman. Michael Fairman, turns out, is a good friend of Richard Sanders and a writing, writing partner. partner. Right. They wind up writing several episodes of WKRP, but then also in his own right, Michael Fairman is as crazy as any committee member when it comes to work. This guy, <laughs> uh, he you, you've seen him, I know, uh, 151 acting credits. Yeah, he began way back in 1951 playing in soap operas. He was on Ryan's Hope, General Hospital, Love of Life. Everywhere. He played Adlai Stevenson in the movie 13 Days, which starred Kevin Costner. He was on The Practice, Family Law, The X-Files, Darman and Greg. It just goes on. And yeah, on and on. yeah. And then he had some movies in there. Well, The 13 Days, and also you said... Forces uh, of Nature. He played Ben Affleck's father. Yeah, so Michael Fairman. But uh turns out, uh, big influence on uh, KRP. And you said when you were looking up his name, it reminded you of Ferryman, which we're going to meet... Ferryman at the commercial break episode that's coming up, and that's Ferryman's funeral home. And Ferryman and Ferryman, they were reminding you of each other. He He, wrote that episode. He wrote five episodes of WKRP. That was was, one of them. them. And A Date with Jennifer, which is hilarious. That was one. Yeah. 
Oh, the date with that's, Jennifer. That's yeah, coming that's coming up too. So, all right, we won't we won't get too excited about those because uh, what's the one we're talking about? Oh, that turkey one. Yeah. <laughs> We got to get back to that turkey one. All right. Well, people so, are running around uh, as Les is announcing, and we found out that uh, Hugh used some production staff, people, office staff, and it seems to like be the extras from the way they were talking, uh, and some other names that were popping up in this oral history. Max Tosh uh, was in there; he was commenting on it, and it sounds like it was really dead. Let us use the barn and put on a show. It's just they're grabbing people <laughs> out of. The writer's room, they're grabbing office staff, they're just putting whoever they can get a hold of out there to Hugh walk. Wilson's secretary, yeah, Lisa yeah. Levin. Uh, who actually, Lisa went on to have a really a pretty solid writing career. We actually see her. Uh, and she she's giving stops. Les a weird look. Yeah, she as she goes weird by. Look. Yeah, she like you said, she had a writing uh, career. She wrote mis- for Mr. Belvedere, Family Ties, Who's the Boss, New Heart. Those are the ones that when I was going down the list, I recognized those. There were a bunch of others I don't remember at all that she wrote for. Yeah, Hugh Wilson said that during this whole insanity and when he gets into the Hindenburg, Richard Sanders never broke. Les announces the arrival of the helicopter and he reads the banner. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> w K R P. What a sight, ladies and And that was Richard Sanders' innovation. He did that at the table read. And everybody died. And, and you said, and keep he, that in You're there. doing that, man. Do you're that definitely at the table. doing that. Oh, I, there was something that I read uh, Tim Reed mentioned about talking about the table read. Uh, he mentioned in the oral history, he was in there as well. One of the things that he said was that they always would get the script a couple of days before the table read. So that way you can go through it and kind of preview it. And he said that this table read for Turkeys Away was the only time in the four seasons of the show that everybody was on time for the table read. He said, you just knew you read through it. And he said the script was solid and tight when they got it. The table read was a killer. So less, uh, like we said, he announced the helicopter. He sees something just came out of the helicopter thinking, could it be a skydiver? (laughs) I don't know. Although he says 2,000 feet from the ground, which we looked that up, that's really low even for a very experienced skydiver. So as soon as you come out, boom, you got to pull that cord. Yeah, you got to be a really good uh, skydiver to jump from uh, that low of an altitude. But if you're a turkey, I guess it's not, you know, you can be thrown right out of there. So Les keeps watching and then realizes. (laughs) No parachutes yet. We never see a helicopter. Oh, we never see I a saw turkey. It, I saw it. Did you in see my it? Head. You saw, I saw it too. I saw. It I too. saw turkeys coming out I of it. I saw turkeys splatting. It's so vividly written. It is so amazingly performed. It doesn't matter that there were no turkeys ever on this set. None at all. You see it. As Les is announcing this, he's mimicking the reporter of the Hindenburg disaster from May 6, 1937, that happened in Lakehurst, New Jersey. Yes, when the end of the dirigible transportation happened. 35 were killed on board and then one on the ground. And there was a reporter there for WLS Radio out of Chicago. His name was Herbert Morrison. Herbert made the 
only audio recording of the events that occurred that day. And there was a restriction on audio recordings. It was not played until the next day. That is the only audio that we have. There are some newsreel shots of the event. So later, Morrison's report was added to newsreel footage. And Tim Reed said that in rehearsals during this week, they were running that newsreel footage with Herbert Morrison's report and Les Nessman is copying it. And if you can imagine that, watching that on a screen, they said that you you started to, they blended together. Herbert Morrison and, and Richard Sanders were just the same guy. You know, in 1978, we're only about 40 years away from the event to take this, you know, horrible air tragedy. Although I kind of think in the pantheon of tragedies, the Hindenburg may be not as big as like Titanic or Pearl Harbor. Yeah, right, you know, the right. Hindenburg's kind of a smaller you know, 30, I think just 36 because it was died. such a new amazing form of transportation yeah, yeah. that Well, and I also think the fact that that baby rolled through Manhattan with swastikas on the tail fins. Mm, that kind of, mm, you know, that's yeah. eh, we don't look at it going, "Oh my goodness, it's horrible that they lost their airship." Man, eh, we didn't really care. <laughs> So anyway, I, I'm just fascinated, though, by the uh, the back and forth between these and the things that Richard Sanders pulls out of this. And Michael Fairman said that he helped him kind of practice and get these parts so that he could be doing lines. And, you know, of course, oh, the humanity. But I want to compare. you got to hear these other okay. things where he's doing these these same lines. Charlie, get this, Charlie. Charlie, can you get this? Crashing to the ground. They're crashing to the earth right in front of us. Oh, the humanity. Oh, the humanity. I, I'm going to step inside while I cannot see it. I think I'm going to step inside. I can't stay out here and watch this anymore. So, yeah, just some cool stuff there. The Herbert Morrison uh, compared to Richard Sanders as Les Nessman. <laughs> and uh, a bit of a difference in the uh, scale of the tragedy, but uh, still a tragedy nonetheless out there at Pinedale Shopping Mall. <laughs> Less his his voice disappears. It just stops. It drops. It's gone. Less, are you there? Less isn't there. <laughs> and he makes and then, the announcement. Johnny, Johnny immediately figures out well, we've got a news story here. Yes. Who just tuned in? The Pinedale Shopping Mall has just been bombed with live turkey. <laughs> Film at eleven. <laughs> This has got to be Hugh Wilson's humor. And I'm also surprised they had to pay for this. But Johnny goes into Credence's It Came Out of the Sky. (laughs) 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 But it it happened so fast, you barely can hear it. There's just a little, I can't believe he had to pay for that. Uh, Fogarty got something for that, but... uh, (laughs) So yeah, so Credence's came out of the sky was the thing that we we go out of that scene. Now we need to talk turkey. Talking again. turkey again. <laughs> Can turkeys fly? All, All right. right. That this <laughs> that this one, okay, the first thing that anybody puts when you say, Hey, we're doing a podcast about WKRP, the comment is always, I love that turkey episode. And then the the next round of comments are all, well, you know, turkeys can fly. So well, we had to look that up. And actually, a friend of mine, her son, uh, raises turkeys. And I saw her when I went out to their pumpkin patch and actually saw some Thanksgiving turkeys in a pen. And I started talking to him. And he's been a turkey guy for years. And the turkeys you eat 
cannot fly. No, they have not been built for flight. They've been built for food. They've been built to get really fat、yeah. and really big breasts. So and and after I think they're still pretty young, they get so big their legs can't even support yeah, them anymore.、Yeah. So if Herb went to a turkey farm. And bought twenty live turkeys from a farmer who's growing them for, for food. For Thanksgiving, they're for not. Food, they're not、right. flying now. Wild turkeys can kinda. They're not great at it. Well, they feed on the ground, but they roost in trees at night, so they can at least get up in a tree. And they have a very sleek body. They don't. What you see in the wild are not the same. No, as, they don't look nearly like a, a Thanksgiving a turkey. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now a wild turkey, they say, can hit speeds of fifty-five miles an hour in just little short bursts. They usually only fly about a hundred yards at a time, but they've got super strong legs. Wild turkeys、mm-hmm. do, and can run on the ground up to twenty-five miles an hour. And they say that their legs are even kind of like a hoofed animal. They run so much. They're kind of flying, but really no turkey is just soaring or migrating. Or anything like that. They're they're fairly restricted, right? And I think they've got some pretty serious、uh, talons.、Mm, yeah, the Thanksgiving turkeys and the wild turkeys. They've got some pretty serious toenails there. Yeah. So if her bought domestic turkeys,、uh, our our ruling on this is no.、Um, they they're、can't. bred to be extra meaty, very fat. They don't fly. Yeah, they do not fly. So that is the word.、Uh, talking turkey. Can turkeys fly? The word.、Uh, the, the word is the bird. The bird the is the word. word. The WKRP cast says no. Turkeys cannot fly in this instance, so the joke stands. After barely being able to breathe, after going、oh, through、gosh. all the less after report, after turkeys going through car windshields and, and splatting the, like the line now.、Cement. Okay. You know, we list Bill Dial as Bill Dial is the writer on this. Unfortunately, along with Hugh, well, along with Hugh, but、uh, but Hugh said in the oral history, and it should be also noted the oral history was done after Bill Dial passed away.、Uh, but Hugh said, eh, you know, he said he said, and I think the quote was, "Bill dined out on that a lot," which means he got free dinners off of it. I wrote. Turkeys away, you know that that kind of thing. Because yes, his name comes up in those credits right at the front, written by Bill Dial. But the reality was, Hugh Wilson said he wrote pretty much every line that Hugh Wilson wrote. He wrote Hugh Wilson wrote but pretty much everything. Coming up here, he does yeah, yeah, give Bill Dial one, one line. But, we'll but talk the, about. But the hitting hitting the ground like wet cement.、Uh, Hugh said, "I wrote that." That's oh, mine.、Gosh. That was Hugh. That was Hugh. And, and that's <laughs> you know that's the thing I really think up to this point. All the insanity, the really. Crazy Dell and、uh, Hyman Monroe and the, that's Hugh Wilson. We are seeing Hugh Wilson and his brain, and I love it. He's crazy. The big promotion is over. We're back in the lobby now. It's the same day. the The event has happened, and now the fallout is occurring. So Travis is on the phone. He's talking to the mayor. He's trying to apologize and trying to play it down. And in 1978, the mayor of the Cincinnati. Mayor? Jerry Springer. He was the mayor from 1977 to 1978. He's a married guy,、right. and yet he's been with you for three years and has two kids with you. Yes. And do they have a? They have a child.、Together. They have a child. Right. This is a perfect Jerry Springer show. Yeah! I 
want to go to a city council meeting presided over by Mayor Springer while the city councilmen just start whipping chairs at each yeah, other. So I want to see that. Yeah, whack them over the head with the gavel or something. So Travis is talking to the mayor. Jennifer's on the phone with the Humane Society. Well, Mr. Colley, a lot of turkeys don't make it through Thanksgiving. And he said... That was Bill's. That was that he gave that line. He gave yeah, he credit said, for yeah, that was Bill's line. But what cracks me up is Jennifer's talking to the Humane Society and she's talking to Mr. Collie. Yeah, Mr. Collie. And then Bailey is like, Andy, why? Why did you let Mr. Carlson do They're that? They're all saying, why didn't you stop him? I how could Andy have stopped him? He didn't even know what he was gonna do. He didn't know. He was kept in the dark. Well, and the reality of it's our station. If right. he wants to go throw turkeys at cars, these can do it. And that's what Andy said. But I love Venus's <laughs> yes. line. This man must be stopped before he promotes again. And as he's <laughs> defending Mr. Carlson, here comes okay. Okay. Carlson so and Herb. They told the joke. When the turkeys start hitting, that's a laugh. That's a punchline. Now we get this, this secondary line. Here come Carlson and Herb. Now... This is one we got that. (laughs) I I love this so much. Art, Art, Gordon. I can't even talk. Arthur Carlson. No, no, Gordon Gordon Jump. Jump, Gordon Jump and Frank Bonner went to makeup and they came up with the feather thing. And in somewhere, did not tell anybody. Didn't tell anybody. Somewhere in one of the rehearsals, or one of the dress rehearsals, one of the final runs, they came out with these feathers on. And Hugh Wilson said, sometimes they would try things. Different ones in the cast would try things, and he'd be like, no, 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 don't do that, don't do that. But he said sometimes they'd try things, and it would work. And he said these guys walked in with those feathers on, in and character, I, in character. And he said I fell out of my chair laughing, <laughs> and they knew it was staying. So. They've got turkey feathers on top of their head. Carlson's bald head has turkey feathers stuck to it. You can even see rips. Their jackets on Arts. Well, not yeah. so much on herbs, but on Arch, you see these little straight line rips, and I can just imagine the talons ripping at him. But on Herb the... had something coming off of his jacket. He had a by yeah, his, by I think his breast pocket. I think they took his pocket square and shredded it. Okay, <laughs> I so. Think so. so Art looks bad. Art looks really bad. Bailey's over. There, can He's I help barely you? Able to walk. He's She's shuffling. like helping a frail, a frail elderly person. You know, can I help you? Are you okay? And and you can see he's more embarrassed than anything. He's embarrassed and stunned. He's stunned. He can't figure out why it didn't, why didn't work. It should have worked. It should have worked. worked. I thought it would work. I planned this thing right down to the last detail. It was perfect. Where'd you get those birds? And then Jennifer. Could I get you a cup of coffee? What? Uh, no, thank you, Jennifer. We agreed? Huh? Yeah, so, so, I thought that was a uh, big move on kinda, her. That was, well, it was a big move on her part, but also kind of classy on Art's part. We agreed. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so right. they head into Art's okay, office. Okay, so here again, here again, heightening even more. They come in, we're dying, but now. Les. Here comes Les. Le, poor Les. Hair sticking straight up off his head. He walks in. He's got the stunned look. Like and obviously, no one is checked after he's <sighs> just disappears off the air. <laughs> Goes silent. Nobody's checked to see if he's okay or what's going on. <laughs> and how many times did we watch this? Four or five times, and we watched it just before we started recording. And I said, 
What's he got under we his did, arm? We seriously did not notice this until just this last time. He was time. carrying one of his shoes under, stuck in his armpit as he walks in. It is stuck uh. under his left arm. He's carrying a shoe. It's a wingtip. And when he turns, you can see it, but you don't realize it at first. It I said, it's so... a shoe. And they're like, oh, Les, are you okay? I don't know. <laughs> a man and his two children tried to kill me. <laughs> After the turkeys hit the pavement, the crowd kind of scattered, but some of them tried to attack me. I had to jam myself into a phone booth. Well, wow, talk about an antique. Les had to jam himself into a phone booth. A what now? Yes, and not, not one of those little clamshell phone. I mean, this is a, a head-to-toe. Yes, where Superman could have changed. Yes. I think that's where Les got in there. Les starts telling the story. About what happened after the after he went off the air. After Les goes off the air, he's now filling in the details. He explains that Mr. Carlson had the helicopter land in the parking lot, and he said, "Well, maybe he's going to let the rest of the turkeys loose." Well, he and Art obviously realized at some point while he was tossing birds out of the copter that they weren't that they flying. Were flying. <laughs> Wait a minute. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> what if that realization been? Now picture, is it is it Art and her both heaving birds? I think so. They're both grabbing birds that's and tossing them. That's what I'm picturing. And the birds, of course, are, are trying to probably hang on to them. They don't want to go Because they, they know they can't fly. <laughs> but but Les is they're saying, well, come on, tell us the rest. And, and he says, all right, so he let him loose on the parking lot. And and then Les starts to walk. Well, he says, he, well, he says I guess he thought he could save the day by turning the rest of the turkeys loose. Gets pretty strange after that. Which made, made both of us crack up. And for me, as if it's not funniest, crazy already. That is it's one of the like, funniest lines in the whole show. He turns and starts walking like he's going to leave the room. I goes, well, it gets a little crazy after that. <laughs> Please elucidate, Mr. Nesman. <laughs> Tell us what happened. <laughs> so he he has to hold himself up. He he props himself up. He's holding he's the wall onto the wall as he describes what and, happens. And they get a close up, and it is the most scared, haunted look on his face. And his hair is hilarious. It, it's like the experience he has gone through. It just he can hardly stand it. So he continues. Looks like the turkeys mounted a counterattack. <laughs> It was almost as if they were organized. <laughs> organized turkeys. You don't want to miss after you. All right. All right, so oh, so oh. Les, Les just keeps standing there. Les can't even continue <laughs> on. And the door to Art's office open, and oh, you know what? We probably ought to play it. The 10 most famous words in all of WKRP history. As God is my witness... I thought turkeys could fly. And one thing that I noticed is from the time they they entered. And I hadn't noticed this. After they come back from the, the little helicopter ride. Yes. <laughs> Oh, and I, love, I love Venus's only conversation he can come up with is, yes, it was. how was it like to be an uh, Yeah, so, so you notice this about Herb. Yeah, Herb and Mr. Carlson enter, 
And from the time they enter to the very end, Herb has no lines. He doesn't say a word. He just is walking in a daze. He's stunned. Trailing. He's stunned. But you know, Mr. When, Carlson, because Mr. Carlson said, I want you right by my side. Yes. He stayed right He stays by right with side. him. But you know, when Les walks in, Les has seen stuff. Les has seen the horrors of the turkeys. Right. And yeah, just the, a, all, like these guys, all these guys, all these guys, the reaction is so funny. Oh. But all right. All right, and now, I'm like you said, I saw it. I saw. They, oh yeah. They never showed the helicopter or the turkeys never or any of that, but I saw it. You, happening. you see it all. It's so vivid. <laughs> but, all right, now now we got to talk about this last line. All right, well, well, but before we get into that, um, I just want to mention that this this line is not said until the end credits begin to appear on the screen. And you, Hugh Wilson wanted it that yes. way. He he said, "You don't put your best comedy up front. You build with the punchline, and then when you deliver the punchline, mic drop. You're out of and there. Get off the stage. Get off the stage. Art is delivering the punchline as the credits are rolling, and that was intentional. That was that was meant to happen. Mm-hmm. All right. So now let's okay. let's get this final line right. As God is my witness, and then listen to Art. As God is my witness." I thought turkeys could fly. Most famous 10 words Hugh Wilson ever wrote. Now, sometimes you will see that written, and even on printed materials, you will see it written as God as. Hugh Wilson said, it's as God is, and that came from his mother. He said that was always his mother's line. He was an only child, and he remembers God witnessing a lot of things for his mom. All right, so it is as God is. Remember that going forward here. All right, uh, so the most famous episode of WKRP ever made, I, and we just discussed it. I feel like a great weight has been lifted from my shoulders. I've been, this is one. I felt like if we can get through this, the other 80 are going to be a breeze, no problem. But, man, this one is so huge. So what's up next week? Next week is Love Returns. Andy's former girlfriend, who is now a big country music star, shows up on tour in Cincinnati. And in this episode, we get to see Andy's apartment. And? Oh, and meet his dog. We meet his dog. So then we got that to look forward to. So, All right, that's going to do it for this episode. That's the best part of that episode. Yeah, of course it is. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of the WKRP cast. Thanks for joining us. Remember, if you want to watch along, definitely it's fun. Check our show notes for viewing details. Got a question, comment, or correction? Know any cool backstage details about the show? Let us know about it. Write us at WKRPCast at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening to the WKRPCast. And make sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. So that is the official end of the episode. You can tune out now if you want to, but we got some shout outs and we also have a few corrections and additions to some earlier episodes. And we're going to start out with a couple of those. We've got a big hey to Cesi de Benedetto. Now I might not be getting that first name exactly right. C-E-S-I. I'm going with Cesi de Benedetto. I feel pretty good with, but Cesi is tripping me up. Anyway, Cesi heard us talking about those outside street shots from Holdup. Now, he's very familiar with the downtown Cincinnati area, so he gave us the lowdown. He said that Art and Andy turned on to East 5th Street between Broadway and Sentinel Streets. He's turning off of Sentinel onto 5th. So the church we see is the Roman Catholic Chapel of the Holy Spirit. 
but don't put that one on your WKRP sightseeing tour because, according to CZ, it was demolished in 1982 to make way for the new Procter & Gamble headquarters. Today, that street is one way going the other way. But back when this was shot, it was two-way. Awesome info, CZ. Thank you. CZ might be our man in Cincinnati, but Bill Elam is our man in Ohio. He's saying that Arthur's pronunciation of the word lure in Bailey's show... And hold on to that lure. Don't let it out of your hand. ...is not representative of the pronunciation of lure he's heard in various parts of the state. Bill says where he is, and in his experience, most parts of Ohio are saying lure, not lure. That lure. Although Bill did say some of the cities have their own accent. Now we also found out that Bill Elam and Matt Porter know each other. Well, not only know each other, they're brothers in podcasting. Matt hosts the Kiss Room podcast, and that has nothing to do with smooching. It's all about the band Kiss, the Kiss Army, Kiss Music. It's the Kiss Room. Check it out with Matt Porter. This is Trivia Connect the Dots. Rustin McKee pointed out that Virginia Christine, the woman who played Mrs. Olsen in the Folgers commercials, also played Hillary St. George in the movie Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. She got told off by Katherine Hepburn. And if you want to play Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon with Virginia Christine, I think it can be done. Now, when we got into the name Hyman in Bailey's show, we kind of went down the path of the background on the name. We didn't pursue an equally interesting line of research. Other folks named Hyman or Kyam. Now, Mike Hernandez, the accountant of rock, reminded us of Hyman Roth, who you might remember as a character from The Amazing Godfather 2. Somebody shot Mo Green right through the eye. I didn't ask who gave the order because it had nothing to do with business. Now, Bill Elam pointed out a Kyam that I even knew but did not remember or even think to mention. There was a young rocker who immigrated to the United States from Israel when he was only eight years old. His name was Kyam Vitz. Probably know him better as Gene Simmons, bassist for the orchestra known as Kiss. A couple of folks pointed out that Joyce Armour, one of the show's writers, is also the name of the woman who had the reception job before Jennifer. We were aware of that, and we did come across it in our research, but we kind of intentionally avoided mentioning it. Something we really haven't talked about much is how we are watching the show. Now, it's not something we're adamant about, but we're trying to experience WKRP the same way viewers experienced it back in the beginning. They didn't have forward references, so we try to stay away from them. From the 1978 viewer's perspective, the later stuff hadn't happened. Now, like I say, we're not adamant about it, and we blow it fairly often because it is hard to not mention things like writers or the occasional storyline that we're going to run into down the road. We're trying to keep our perspective fresh by not looking ahead so we can discover those episodes the same way they would have tuning in on Monday nights. And that is why we release our show on Tuesdays. It's an homage to the Monday night airings of the original show. So don't expect us to look forward on things too often. We're actually going to try not to. But we will definitely be pointing out backwards references and callbacks to things we've already seen. A big hey to Sue Batson Patterson, listening to us from Canada. Sue describes herself as a KRP superfan with tons of memorabilia that she plans to share with us on the Facebook page. 
Sue joins our growing but still pretty small group of female WKRP casters and our growing but even smaller group of Canadian listeners. Welcome and thank you, Sue. EPJ made a bumper. Eric Paul Johnson, who is uh, proving to be a very good friend of the show and host of the ELO Face the Music podcast, made us a show bumper. It's a blatant promotion of his podcast, but we love it anyway. This is Eric Paul Johnson from Face the Music, an electric light orchestra song-by-song podcast. And when I need all the details on the ELO posters in Andy's office, I go straight to the WKRP cast. WKRP! Cincinnati. Be like EPJ. Make stuff. We'll play it. According to Google Analytics, 119% of our audience is made up of broadcasters or former broadcasters. Those numbers may not be entirely accurate. We know that you know how to make stuff, so make us something to play in the show. Have fun. Don't cuss. People from our church are listening. (laughs) Thanks to Jamie Schmidt, who pointed out that Mr. Eisenhower from Bailey's show is identified on the IMDb. We might not have punched the full cast button on that one. That was my bad. His name is Barry Kroger, and I'm sorry we missed him. Barry Kroger started as a radio announcer in 1931, transitioned to movies in the 40s, TV appearances in the 60s, and WKRP in 1978. Barry passed away in 1991. Jamie also tracked down the date of the billboard that Lonnie Anderson is holding at the end of Bailey's show, and that would be August 12th, 1978. Now, Jamie actually might be working on some kind of a research fellowship here at the WKRP cast. (laughs) He also found the names of the two cops who come busting into the front door of Dell's place during holdup. No surprise, based on some of the other extras we've identified, those were writers and story editors Tom Chehack and Blake Hunter. We don't know which was which. Uh, Another little tidbit I nabbed recently about that episode that struck me as pretty funny. Both Bill Dial, who played Bucky the Union Engineer, and Hugh Wilson, who played the cop at the end, got in trouble with the Screen Actors Guild. SAG is the union for actors, and neither Bill or Hugh were members at the time when they hopped out on that stage. WKRP was a union show. If you know anything about unions, you know you don't do that. Hey to Clyde Hedgecoth Jr. Clyde has been posting some interesting stuff to the Facebook page. Clyde likes to go down some dark trivia alleys with his show analysis. Clyde made the very cool point that the villain Dr. Doom from the Fantastic Four has a tiny scar on his cheek, which drives him mad, even though it's barely visible. Great comparison to Jan Smithers and her tiny scar on her chin. We're glad hers didn't drive her mad. Thanks for listening, Clyde. Hey to Craig Paytac. Craig found us on Facebook and has been sharing us to his friends. Craig also pointed out that there is a playlist available on Pandora called Every Song Played on WKRP. If you've got a road trip coming up, that's your jam. Now I'm wondering if they uh, also have How Can I Miss You If You Won't Go Away on there. I want to check that out. (laughs) (laughs) And it looks like that is going to do it for this week's WKRP cast. Remember, if you've got something to share, we'd love to include it in upcoming shout-outs. Just send it to our email address, wkrpcast at gmail.com. May the good news be yours. (laughs) 
the WKRP cast is not endorsed by MTM Enterprises, Shout Factory, or CBS. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. WKRP in Cincinnati, the WKRP logo, and all names, pictures, and audio of WKRP in Cincinnati characters are registered trademarks of MTM, CBS, Shout Factory, or their respective copyright holders. Almost forgot, fellow babies. Booger!